So we are going to, uh, I feel like I'm, I'm very privileged because I, I in this, especially in these last series of sermons, I can't remember which one I was going to look it up and I forgot this morning which one I was last year uh, with you guys with. But um, in this series in the attributes, it's like I get to preach um, the catalog of Matt's favorite passages in the Bible. Um, and it sort of gets categorized under a series about attributes. But anyways, um, this is uh, one, uh, all of Psalm 139 is one of my favorite uh, passages if you're allowed to have favorites as a preacher. Um, and so I'm going to read verses uh, 1 through 12, and we're going to think a little bit today about God's omnipresence, that he is everywhere, uh, which um, as I think about the different attributes that I've talked to you about and that I've had the privilege to teach through the years, um, this is genuinely hard. There are some that are not that hard. They're fun to talk about and explain and kind of like let your mind be blown. This is genuinely difficult, but also fun. So let's see if we can, we can do it together. So uh, Psalm 139, um, if you, the heading there in um, the ESV is, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Um, this is uh, to the choir master. This is uh, from David. And so I'm going to read Psalm 139, verses 1 through 12, uh, and then pray. Let's hear God's word. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit, or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. This is the word of the Lord. Oh, come on, I keep forgetting to remind you that this is participatory theater. Okay, so I say, this is the word of the Lord, and you say, thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Uh, Father, this knowledge is uh, too wonderful for us, too. Uh, wonderful enough that my little pea rain can't get around it. So, when I face that, you know I tend to avoid it. Instead of just taking my smallness and being okay with it. And just receiving your bigness. So help me, help us to see the goodness of this and to be genuinely comforted as a result. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are going to think a little bit about God's omnipresence today. As being present everywhere equally at all times um, and in all places. And so um, getting our minds around that concept's even hard, so I'm going to start with a couple of analogies just to try to help um, so then these analogies kind of fall into, you know, sort of two domains. Um, 
we, we think about God being both transcendent, that he is distinct from creation and over creation. He made everything, but he's also, so he's transcendent, but he's also imminent. He is God with us. He's right alongside of us, always and everywhere. So this first one uh, is uh, one that tries to help us see God's imminence as we would think about omnipresence or his nearness to us, even as he is everywhere. Um, think about uh, dissolving sugar in water. So if you dissolve uh, sugar in water and it's, and it's below the saturation point for whatever temperature water you've got, right, you stir the sugar in and it's, and it's gone, apparently. Unless you remember, unless you taste it and you're like, oh no, it's not gone. It's actually now sweet water, but you can't see that it's there. But if you could look down all the way down at the microscopic level, what you'd see is you'd see sugar molecules right next to water molecules. So they're distinguished, but they're... They're right, right next to each other, right? And everywhere, uh, by the law of diffusion, right, they, they're, they're actually evenly distributed. Uh, so if you can think about that, God not as parts, but evenly distributed throughout the universe, everywhere present, like sugar with water. Now, that's helpful to distinguish the concept um, the, the concept of biblical omnipresence from, say, pantheism. In pantheism, God and the world are the same. They're identified. They're indistinguishable. And that's why everything can be thought in pantheism that everything is divine in some way or another because they're indistinguishable. Sugar and water, always distinguishable. Okay. Let's think about one that's a little bit more mind-stretching. Let's think about the relationship of Matt's body to Matt's soul. So when you think about Matt's arthritic right pointer, it is only right here. It is not here, it is not here, and it is not here, it is only here. Matt's arthritic right pointer. Where's my soul? That's interesting. Is it here? We need some kids. Is it here? Yeah. Is it here? Yeah. Is it here? Yeah. Is it here? Yes. So now we stretched our minds a little bit where we can have two distinguished things where one is in one place and the other is everywhere present with. So my pointer is only here, but my soul is Wherever I go, at least this side of the grave, wherever I go, my soul goes. It does not extend beyond me. It is always with me. But it is not limited in the space like my arthritic pointer is. Getting closer. Both can exist, and one can exist equally present with the other while still being distinguished. Now, these both illustrate something about God's omnipresence, but not all of it. God as spirit exists not alongside the world as though the world were his body. That's a different complex 25-cent word. But with inflation, maybe it's a 50-cent word. Um, The idea that God is spirit with the world existing alongside of him as though it were his body, that's actually panentheism. And in that, God is becoming along with the world as evolution proceeds. But that's not the biblical view. The biblical view is that God exists apart from the world. That's how we think of his transcendence. 
He exists outside of the world. The nature of reality is to God and the world that He made. But He works within the worlds. All of it is present everywhere to the world. The word we use to, just, just to describe that is imminence. Think of it another analogy. Um, I was a marine scientist, love fish, still love fish. Um, think of the relationship of a fish to water. Fish is in water, turns this way, water. Turns this way, water. Turns this way, water. Everywhere. Fish distinct for water, everywhere fish goes, water. Fish not water, water not fish. Um, weak analogies, but we're trying. We're trying, Okay. God's presence everywhere, why is this important? It's meant to be a comfort to us, that He is always with us. Not in a generic, but as we're going to see, a rather specific and personal way that He is with you. And because God is always with you, He has perfect knowledge of you, which is where this text begins, and so it's where we'll begin. So let's enjoy God's knowledge of us. Look at me at verses 1 through 6. This is again a psalm of David. It's meant to be a believer's refrain for comfort. It starts with the word, <clears throat> with the words, O Lord, you, who is this one who is Lord? This is the, the Hebrew word for, that we pronounce Yahweh. He's the creator of heaven and earth. Okay, the unique creator, right? You, O Lord, you have searched me and known me, exclamation point. So maybe it should be like, you have searched me and known me. That's the enthusiastic New Yorker coming out. So now when we think about this, at the outset, this is potentially good or potentially bad. It all depends on your view of God and kind of where you think you and God stand. Because if you've searched me and known me, it's kind of like, ooh. There's a lot there, right? And so, do I? is that good news to me or is that not good news to me, right? Um, for David, this was good news. So it has the possibility that this is good news, but you'll have to stay with me to see that. So what's the extent of God being with us shown by his knowledge? Not knowledge from afar, but knowledge up close. Uh, You know, verse 2, when I sit down and when I rise up, there's a group of pairs in here that are meant to be for everything, but you're just given the the end. So you know, when I sit down and when I rise up and everything really between, this is a pair for you always see me. So you know where my body is. Okay, great. You can tell where my body is from the phone in my pocket and doing a GPS tracking, right? You can know, any of you can know where my body is, right? You just have to track me on your phone because my phone's with me and you can track my body as a Rough analog, right? At least that's most of us. But this goes further. Not just my body. You discern my thoughts from afar. That's fascinating. Sometimes we wish we could mind read, but I think that we are all wrong. I do not think you would actually want to read someone else's mind. If your brain is as scary as it is inside of my brain, why would you want to know someone else's like that? Okay, so you discern my thoughts from afar. Now, this is very interesting when you get over into the Gospels, uh, particularly you can write down if you want to look later, Matthew 9, 4. There's a scene where a paralytic's brought to Jesus and Jesus says, 
uh, your sins are forgiven, take up your mat and walk. And the teachers are in the background, the Pharisees, they're kind of going in the background and they're chewing inside of their heads going, well, this guy, you remember what it says about Jesus? It says, knowing their thoughts. Which is an interesting little, um, it's, it's a throw-in by Matthew and also in by Luke. Not a throw-in, but it's an important sort of, they're saying to you, the God who discerns thoughts from afar, that's this one who's now incarnate, who is as close as you can be to anybody, right? Transcendence, imminence. You discern my thoughts from afar. This is interesting, verse 3, you search out my path. Kurt Thompson, who's a, a Christian um, counselor on the East Coast, says that everybody comes into the world looking for somebody looking for them. Everyone comes into the world looking for somebody looking for them. Because we're made for community and we're made for God. But that's his way of putting it. You, you search out. You're looking for me. You search out my path. My lying down, you're acquainted with all my ways. Sometimes we really wonder, wouldn't it be great if somebody really understood us? Like we feel like we're a complex person and they even maybe our spouse or a sibling or a best friend is like, man, you just don't get it. I'm trying to communicate it and you're not getting me. Acquainted with all my ways. Someone really gets you. Even before words of my tongue, verse 4, as I'm emoting, as I'm pondering, as I'm perfecting, while I'm trying to decide whether to be stupid or not stupid, while it's only in my heart, before a word's on my tongue, O Lord, you know it altogether, even the things that I wisely left unsaid. Everyone else knows about the things that I unwisely didn't leave unsaid. But you know even the things that I wisely left unsaid. You know it all together. So then sort of a collection, if you will. Uh, you, you hem me in, you will, from the sides, behind and before. You're, you're all around me. You surround me, but not as a threat. You lay your hand upon me for care. Right? Have you ever had that? Where someone comes up and they, they put their hand on you as an expression of care. You lay your hand on me for care. And David responds, hold on, such knowledge of you, it's too wonderful for me. It's mind-blowing. It's high, I cannot attain it. It leads me to worship. I'm known comprehensively, and loved. Because you're there. So, the point here is to enjoy God's knowledge of you. Um, I said a little earlier that this is news that you might not actually enjoy. If you think about God's omniscience, that he knows everything about us, this is a different, from a different perspective of looking at that, that there's this... <coughs> The way I put it is that there is that 24-hour videotape of your life with the soundtrack that's the inside voice of your thoughts and the meditations of your heart. That tape exists. It has not been destroyed. 
God has taken notice of all. Um, What this means is that uh, sin is not just the big things that other people have observed, but God's eye has seen, God's ear has heard all the ways that I and you, that we've given our affections to something other than Him. Uh, This kind of puts to rest the idea that God grades on a curve somehow, giving a free pass to those who aren't so bad in comparison to the really bad. Nope, sorry friends, I'll throw my lot in here first. Really bad. All people, sinners in need of grace. Really bad in God's eyes. He's seen the heart of me and you and every person that's worshipped idols. And we we show that by what we trust in to give us hope and significance and security. Um, Why is this important to to kind of put my finger on just for a second? The knowledge that God has of my heart and your heart is why something so radical as the coming of Jesus is what's needed. We needed something that severe, that wonderful. We needed Jesus living and thinking perfectly in our place, never giving his affection to anything else, uh, to anyone else other than his Father. We needed that because we've been so lousy at it. We needed him dying because we've been lousy at it. And we needed him to rise to give us hope and to show us that his sacrifice had been accepted. And we've been praying for us now even as we struggle against this in our current lives. This knowledge that God has of my heart and your heart is something that we need to grab a hold of so that we understand why we needed something so radical as the coming of Jesus so that we could be accepted into God's family. We've got so much sin that God's incredibly aware of that the only solution, an incredible solution, I might add, a solution that we're going to celebrate later, the only solution to our sin problem is that the Father sent the Son to take on flesh, live, die, resurrect, that we might be accepted. Um, this knowledge of God this, that comes from Him being present everywhere comprehensively, um, as you trust in Jesus, turning from finding significance elsewhere, your record of sin, what we're told in the Scriptures, is purposefully forgotten by God. And in its place is Jesus perfect life. The cross, you'll remember, is where justice and mercy meet. One more note on this topic. If I'm really going to enjoy God's knowledge of me and not just cower in light of it because I know how much junk is there, I have to add one more glorious thought to that collection of thoughts. God's knowledge is not just of the past or the present, but also the future. He's present there already. I can't remember if I did eternality here or not. But the best analogy that I've heard of of God existing, working within time, but but existing outside of time is one that one of my seminary professors that Dave Klein and I had together, actually. Um, But um, John Frame used to say, here's the way to think about God's eternality, that he's equally present at at all places in time. And this is timely because it's Thanksgiving week. And as a good New Yorker, there's only two things that are really important about Thanksgiving Day, the Macy's Day Parade, and the Giants losing. 
Um, so the Macy's Day Parade. Think about the Macy's. We grew up watching the New Yorker. We grew up watching the Macy's Day Parade on TV. It was the tradition on, on Thanksgiving morning. From the perspective of humans, the Macy's Day Parade is experienced as though you're standing in front of Macy's and the parade goes past you in a sequence of events, right? It has a beginning and an end and has a current. That's the way we experience time. God's perspective on time, though, is as though he's standing on top of the Empire State Building, looking down and seeing the parade from the beginning to the end, equally present with all of it in all of its spaces. That's how he experiences time. He's outside of it. He made it. I know that's mind-blowing, but he made it. Um, And he experiences all of it all at once. So God's knowledge is not just of the past to the present, but also the future. Why is this helpful? God sets his love on sinners knowing their futures. That is, he sets his love on us with full knowledge of how miserably we're going to do in the future. Even after we've come to know it. God pre-plans his patience, his ongoing kindness and grace to us. He pre-plans it. He goes in knowing which I think is pretty awesome. Well, how can God know all about us? Only if he's present always and everywhere. And so let's then second grasp that God is present everywhere most directly. Verses 7 to 12. Let's keep going in Psalm 139. Where shall I go from your spirit? So, you know, this kind of thing could make you nervous, right? it wasn't comforting for David it was even though he was wayward at times could could God lose him no where shall I go from your spirit expect an answer nowhere or where shall I flee from your presence nowhere possible and then we get some of these pairs if I ascend to the heaven the highest you're there if I make my bed in Sheol that's the place of the dead the lowest you're there if I take the wings of the morning so that's to go um, start off early in Spokane this morning beautiful gorgeous sunrise out of the the window of the plane if I go if I go all the way to the wings of the morning all the way to the dawn there and if I dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, right? If I go all the way for, to the furthest extent of the known world, right? So this would have been contemplated in the Mediterranean Sea. There isn't world travel yet. Those kinds of things. And so if I go the furthest away that man knows about to the west, science of the east, furthest part of the sea to the west, furthest extent known, there. Even there. Even there, there's comfort for me. Your hand shall lead me. Uh, last week, I would preach this in Maryland where I do some interim work. And in the Sunday school hour, um, I was following some folks downstairs to class. And there was a um, young man in the congregation leading like his, you know, 15 or 16 month old with binky in mouth down the stairs. And like, you know, the small enough that the stairs are like, right, like that. And holding his hand. And this is the picture, right? Even there, your hand, but we're the little one, not the big one. Even there, your hand shall lead me. Your right hand shall hold me. 
the song, maybe, I don't know if you'd sung it here, Jono, but um, the refrain is, He will hold me fast. And it's a neat, neat song. You shall hold me. Okay, well, all right, so we got location. What about um, uh, light? And, and I think meant um, certainly in the greater context of the scriptures, certainly not just um, physical, but also sort of emotional or mental state or whatever. Surely the, dark, surely the darkness, verse 11, if I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, the light about me be night, even the darkness, not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. It's not a barrier. I'm still seen. Even physically or emotionally dark, those are not barriers to God. He's present everywhere with me for good, for comfort. So this is, sorry, I didn't realize I was going to be the scratchy this morning. So this is an aspect, omnipresence is an aspect of God's infinite nature. You could also think about this as God's immensity. Just as the ocean is to a fish, immense, right? So us in the place of the fish within the immensity of God, everywhere present. Not in pieces, but all of it. Uh, This uh, omnipresence of God is an aspect of his infinite nature, just as time doesn't contain God, neither does space. He's equally and fully present everywhere at all times with all people. Uh, Jeremiah 23 puts it this way, Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him? <clears throat> Sorry, I added that. It's not in the text. Um, declares the Lord. Do I not fill heaven and earth? Declares the Lord. All right, so I'm encouraging you to stretch your brains. And if we stretch our brains and seek to understand this, what's, what use is it to us? In verse 10, I hinted at it already, gives you and I the point that God wants to make, which is then last, to take comfort in God's omnipresence. To take comfort in God's omnipresence. Now, the reason that I'm trying to help you work to grasp it is if you don't grasp it, you can't be comforted by it. And if you're not, if you aren't comforted by it, there's a problem. See, if we, if we don't think God's a certain place at work when we get there, um, then we as creatures feel like we need to begin to act differently because we need to make sure that, that things get done the way that we think they need to get done. So if we're not comforted by God being present there, uh, then what we can try and do is to try and take um, an oversized role. We try and emulate uh, in some way God's being present everywhere, and we drive ourselves nuts. Right? We, we try and split ourselves in too many places. I've never been guilty of this, my wife would tell you. This is something that she struggles with, but not me. Liar, liar, pants on fire. Um, All right, let me just point to you a little bit about why this is important and try and draw a couple things together. Modern technology deludes us into thinking that we can be at two places at once, right? What happens when you FaceTime or Zoom or I know we got people joining us via Zoom. Thank you for being there. We don't assume idolatry on your part. We're glad for you to be here. 
But modern technology deludes us into thinking that we can be two places at once. So when I'm on FaceTime with uh, my missionary friend in New Zealand, I have the illusion that I'm both comfortably ensconced in my desk at home and present with him in Auckland, New Zealand. But in reality, what that yields to me is that I'm really fully neither in either place. I can't put myself fully present in both places, so I end up splitting myself, and both of them get less of me. Uh, here's, this is a Jen Wilkin thought, uh, and here's a quote from her in this realm. Jen Wilkin, when we trust him as fully present everywhere, we are finally free to be fully present wherever he has placed us, face-to-face, with those we love, seeking the face of God. So it's very important. We're tempted in our age to split ourselves between places. We don't have that capability, folks. We simply don't. And if we try to, we, we try and take to ourselves an attribute of God that doesn't belong to us, and it's destructive to us and to others. If we relate backwards, earlier in this series that I've been doing, I can't remember if I did God's greatness here, but if I truly believe that God is great, that he is over all, that he's working in all, that he's omnipresent, that he is actually functionally in control of the affairs of the world, I can let myself off the hook of worrying about that which I can't control. That's hard for me. There are lots of things that I would like to go lots of ways. All you have to do is listen to my prayers. But if God is actually present everywhere, and in control, big enough to do it, wise enough to get it done well, then I can let myself off the hook of worrying about that which I can't control. And instead, give my full focus to what is actually in my domain. So that's why this is important for us. Helps us stay sane. While God is fully present everywhere at all times and all places, his presence is manifested and experienced differently. Uh, and that is, it's different because it's dependent upon our need and the need of the situation. So, say for example, we're in a situation where we need God's strengthening presence because it's a circumstance where we need courage. Maybe it's a circumstance where we're taking sin lightly and we need God's, as we thought about from Revelation 3 earlier, we need His convicting presence. Maybe we're in a particularly difficult time in life where we're conflicted or troubled. And we need his comforting presence. So the picture here, the simple thing I'm trying to say is that we should take comfort. But why? Why should we take comfort? Well, friends, we are actually never alone, though we may feel like it at times. We are actually never alone, though we may feel like it at times.
I uh, travel for a living. It's pretty common that I'm not on a Sunday with my own family. I get alone very well, but I'm actually never alone, and that's a good thing. How do we access comfort? How do we gain God's comfort? Here's the way that I would think about it, or that I think about it myself, and it might be helpful to you. We can take comfort by turning to God frequently. The Puritan Thomas Watson put it this way. Thus we may take a turn with God every day by faith. It is sliding God not to walk with him. If a king was in our presence, it would be sliding him to neglect him and play with the pet. My analogy for this, well put by Watson, uh, recently Julian and I, my wife Julian and I, drove from Denver to Estes Park, Colorado for a conference. And it's about a two-hour drive. And um, if you can imagine, I can't imagine, but if you can imagine for a second, that entire car ride and, us not, and me not talking to Julian at all would have been absurd, right? But we, we can do that with God. We cannot actually go to him to take comfort via prayer. And so prayer, for this reason, is super important. It's the way that we receive God's comfort. We learn to take God's comfort in his presence via frequent prayer. We've been thinking a little bit about how God manifests his presence. He manifests his presence in a particular way in worship services like these. Services that he's given for our growth and conviction and comfort. Um, God is present wonderfully today, but again, that presence is manifested individually depending on your need. God's present wonderfully in the Lord's Supper, but again, that presence is manifested individually depending on your need. So what is your need? What is your need today? What's your need in terms of God's presence as we come to the table? Is it to be assured that your sins are absolutely forgiven because of Jesus? Or is it the inverse? It's to be sobered that the sin that you've been taking lightly is a big deal to God. So big that the only way it could be forgiven was for the Son to be given up to death by the Father. Or is it to come and to see, and as, uh, as a Heidelberg Catechism puts it so well, as surely as the bread is broken, Jesus was broken for me. Why? Because he entered into the suffering of the world. And I need to be comforted by that truth. How do you need God to manifest his presence for you, to you today? So as we turn to the table, I'm going to do something just a little bit different. I'm going to give you a minute to pray silently, asking God to manifest his presence as you need as you come to the table. And then I'll close this in a minute audibly, asking God's blessing, not just on the message, but on us on the table. Let's go to the Lord.
Father, thank you that you are present uh, everywhere. And so there's no place that we go that we are actually alone, even if we feel like it. So thank you that you are there with your hand to guide us, to lead us, to comfort us. I pray for myself and for these friends here that, that we would genuinely take comfort by believing that you're present and turning to you frequently in prayer to receive comfort, whatever our time of need. Even as we come to the table, we pray that Jesus, the sacrifice that you've given for us, would be received by us in the way that we need most today. And that, Holy Spirit, you would do that. That you'd minister to us truly. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.